Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Scarlett Russell, Entertainment Editor at the Sunday Times Style. Welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle, Episode 7 of Series 3. In this podcast, I speak to a range of female entrepreneurs who've turned their side hustle into a thriving business. You can get the latest episodes on the Times Radio app, as well as from wherever you normally indulge your podcast habit. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a rating and share us with your friends, family and followers. My guest this week is really quite impressive. Self-proclaimed tech evangelist, Professor Sue Black has a PhD in computer science and an OBE for services to technology. She's a professor of computer science at Durham University, a writer and public speaker, and not forgetting about her own side hustle, Tech Mums. Tech Mums is a social enterprise which aims to empower mothers and their families through technology. It runs programs and initiatives via its website designed to support mothers to become more familiar, confident and excited about the use of technology in their personal, professional and parenting lives. Sue launched it in 2012 and relaunched it in 2018. It's now going really strong, having reached over 300,000 women so far with aims to make it to 1 million. Sue is 58, she's got four kids, five grandkids and lives in London. Her story is truly inspiring and fascinating. I can't wait for you to hear it. Hello, Sue. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The listeners can't see, but you've got a great Zoom background of um, Durham University, where you work. It's lovely. I've got a background of mess in my flat, so <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> well, that's, that's why I've got the background of Durham University, so you can't see me. Oh, right. Okay, good. I feel better now. <laughs> Little tip there. Um, so first of all, tech mums. We want to talk about tech mums. Can you just tell me about the programs and initiatives for women and how they actually work? Well, so Tech Mums is a social enterprise I set up, I think in about 2012, so some years ago now. And the whole idea really was, you know, I've, I've had this background in, in computer science. Uh, I went back into education as a, a mature student. And so technology and education just completely changed my family's life chances, really. So it's not just helped me, but... Uh, helps me to to bring my family out of poverty. In 2012, I was trying to work out how can I get everyone to appreciate how technology can show you all these opportunities. I started running workshops for seven-year-old kids doing stuff like coding and app design. 
at that time, um, Michael Gove was the education secretary and he was saying that computing's too difficult for anyone under 14. And I just thought that's a load of rubbish. So I think partly I wanted to prove him wrong. Um, so I ran these coding and app design workshops with seven year old kids. And at the end of the day, we'd get the parents to come in and have a go at what the kids have been doing. And I just noticed that when I asked the parents to, to kind of have a go and look at what the kids were doing, in general, so not everyone, but in general, the, the dads would just kind of step in and like, you know, what are you doing, kids? And I just saw a look of like massive apprehension on some of the mum's faces. And that just kind of triggered a thought in my head, you know, like, well, why, why don't I work with mums to get mums tech savvy? And that's kind of how Tech Mums was born. And um, so Tech Mums has been running now since I think that was 2013 when we ran the pilot. And um, we've just launched an online program, so a free online program for mums to go through some kind of mini modules. And um, we're looking to, to scale Tech Mums and take it global. Sue has worked her whole life from the ground up to become the incredible entrepreneur she is today. It definitely wasn't an easy ride, though, as you're here. So everything was pretty much just a, an average life bobbing along. Um, but unfortunately, when I was 12, my mum died. And uh, my dad remarried the next year, so possibly too quickly and uh, possibly to the wrong person. It's a personal opinion there. And um, and my life kind of went from living in a functional family to living in a dysfunctional family. Some sort of physical violence, lots of emotional cruelty, I guess, and uh, not enough to eat. All sorts of awful things happened. So as soon as I could leave home, I did really. So I left home at 16, moved in with my friend Kate's family. I tried to stay on at school to do my A-levels, but I was working in a, a cafe to pay my rent weekends and evenings and it just you know, it wasn't working out. I was falling asleep in the sixth form common room at school. So I realised at some point that there's no point staying on at school because I'm going to fail my A-levels. I'm not going to pass them. So I decided to leave. Uh, I moved to London, then got married, had my daughter, Emma, and then two years later had my um, twin sons. So I was thinking that after having Emma I'll have, I'll have another baby and then I'll go back to work but when that turned out to be twins that wasn't quite so easy to go um, straight back to work and you then only yeah. 20 when you got married weren't you and 20 yeah. you'd have three kids by the time you by were 23. 23 yeah I know. Um, but then unfortunately after that my marriage broke down so I ended up having to run away one morning um, to a women's refuge on the other side of London for six months then after six months I managed to swap my old council flat for a, a council flat in Brixton and then thought, okay, what, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, I need to go back to work, like to earn some money. But I realised quite quickly, you know, I'd left school probably about nine years before, 10 years before, uh, with five O levels. And uh, I hadn't worked for a few years. So I was probably going to get a job, you know, I like a very low paid job, basically. So I realised that actually I wouldn't be able to earn enough money to even pay for childcare for the children. So I, I couldn't actually go back to work. It just wouldn't work out. So then I thought, why don't I try and go back into education? And so basically that's what I did. I went along to Southern College, did a maths course, which was equivalent to two A-levels. And then that led me on to doing a degree. So I, I, I did some programming at the end of my maths course, which I really enjoyed. And even though I didn't completely understand all of it, but I just got very excited about technology. Thought I want to study technology. So did started in 1989, a degree in computing. Did that and then... In the final year of my degree, I was having a meeting with my um, project supervisor and he said, what do you think about doing a PhD? So I said, oh, I'd love to do a PhD. But what I didn't tell him was I didn't know what a PhD was. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I just said, yes, anyway, I'd love to do it. So I interviewed for that, got that position. Um, 
started my PhD. Then about halfway through that, uh, some full-time lectureships came up in the uni. So I applied for one of those. So you're working full-time, yeah. doing a PhD and mothering yeah. three kids. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, it's such a fascinating backstory and I'm kind of understanding where you get your work ethic and your resilience <laughs> from. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, what was the tech landscape like for women back then? Pretty similar to now in a way. I mean, so, so in 1998, um, I set up UK's first online network for uh, women in tech as well. So that's when I was doing my PhD. And um, around that time, I think it was about 17% women in tech. And basically, it's about the same now. So, you know, 20 years haven't made that much difference in the uh, percentages, unfortunately. But the whole environment is kind of different now in that we can actually talk about women in tech now, whereas it wasn't really a thing back then you know and I like when I set up uh, BCS Women the the network uh, one of my colleagues said uh, you know about me setting up the group why are you ghettoizing yourself and I was like what where did that come from what does that mean ghettoizing well, well creating a ghetto for yourself and your and your other women you know uh, <laughs> I don't know I was so shocked that's really stuck with me and I'm still kind of like well, what, why would that? Why would what you're doing be in any way negative? It's sort of making it negative, yeah, whereas what totally. you're doing is I thought it was a completely positive thing. But he thought I was creating a ghetto, kind of back then. You know, like having I was sort of like fighting for awards for women in tech. You know, whereas it just came across so much resistance. Was told so many times, and again with tech mums that I'm being very sexist by doing something specifically for women. Oh my god. It's been an education for me in terms of people's opinions. And so things have got a lot easier now. You know, there's so many groups of women in tech, all different sorts, which is amazing. There's loads of awards, women in tech. There's loads of programs, women in tech. There's, you know, there's just, there's women in tech conferences, mm. which none of those existed back then. So launched Tech Mums in 2012 and then relaunched it in 2018. I wanted to know why. Tech Mums, as it started, the programme that we originally had was five weeks, two hours a week, usually running a school or a college. And um, we were running that with various different organisations around the country. We've got a lot of feedback basically over the years. So we started off with a very short course, but actually one of the main kind of bits of feedback that we had was that that women, that mums wanted it to go on longer. So we we basically included more material and changed it into a 10-week course in 2018. We got uh, a new CEO who was amazing and we were really working on kind of like upgrading the material because it had been written several years before and also kind of technology had moved on in that time as well. You know, more people were were using email, more people were using the internet, more people were doing things online, more people were shopping online, you know, that more, there were more security risks like you know all different sorts of things that we kind of wanted to kind of upgrade it lengthen it and uh, include more content basically unlike many of our guests who are kind of starting things up for the very first time by the time you set up tech moms you'd already had a load of experience um you mentioned your bsc women which was an online network of women which you founded in 1998 so you've been setting up very successful initiatives before so even with all that experience, though, what were the new challenges that you were faced yeah. with setting up Tech Mums? Starting up Tech Mums was quite a different proposition, really. So I was used to starting things up on my own, getting them going, including, you know, like bringing other people in. 
and that kind of works. But with setting up a business, I think it's a lot harder to do it um, on your own. So if I set up another um, business now, I, I wouldn't do it on my own. If you've got something that you're running on your own, you've got no one to really bounce ideas around with. Um, and I think part of my personality is I have to like talk about things to work out what I actually think. I don't quite know why it works like that. So if you've got um, a co-founder for a business, you've got someone who's totally bought into what you're doing being successful. Um, I think if I could do it again, I would have I would have waited till I found the right person to to kind of like co-found Tech Mums with. But also other things like getting funding, you know, because you can you can volunteer so much time, but at some point you want to employ people to do stuff. And whether you're a for-profit business or not-for-profit, it doesn't really matter. You've, you you still need to pay people, so you still need money coming in. We didn't want the mums to pay, so basically our users weren't weren't paying us. Um, but that means you've got to find the money elsewhere, which means mm. you've got to convince other people to give you money, and that that was very difficult for for quite some time. Who did give you money? How did you find it? Right at the beginning, uh, Bethnal Green Ventures, so uh, a tech for good incubator in London. Um, gave us some money that enabled us to run the pilot and kind of start things going. How much money, that, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, it was £15,000. Wow. So that's that's a grant that people can apply for in, in Bethnal Green. Do you have to live in Bethnal Green? Are there any stipulations no. like that? No. no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Bethnal Green Ventures is still running. And, um, you know, so there are incubators out there for businesses. And so I think, you know, that really helped because, not only did we get the funding, but we also got the support from people who had started their own companies. And also in an incubator and in, in an accelerator, you're in with a group of other startups who are trying to do the same things. And then um, did you apply for more? How, how did the rest of the kind of the funding come in? So it's mainly been working with individual partners. So we work, for example, with Essex County Council. So we train some uh, of the teachers that work in colleges in Essex County Council, trained them in the Tech Mums programme. So then they ran Tech Mums. We worked with a, a college in Dublin, did the same thing there. More recently, we've worked with libraries. So, for example, Leeds Libraries have been running Tech Mums for a couple of years now with uh, three different libraries running it um, at the same time. So, so mainly from working with partners and then paying us to, to support them to run the programme. Is that quite easy to get that kind of money? Did you find people no. are coming to you? <laughs> no. Did you have to do no. a lot of graft yeah, to get that? Yeah, right. absolutely, okay. yeah. So what's really been a game changer for us has been we got some funding from Nominate Trust about two or three years ago now, um, which enabled us to run Tech Mums TV. So we ran Tech Mums TV, uh, which was TV program or in quotes. So kind of like a magazine style program, bringing mums and tech together. So having uh, mums coming in, it was like um, a bit like this morning, I guess, but mm. around mums and tech. And we worked with Facebook. So we ran it from their um, studio in London and uh, it was a one hour show every week for five weeks that we ran and yeah we brought in kind of technology experts some of whom were mums we brought in mums to talk about their story and um, stories that were tech related gave a bit of tech kind of um, advice and stuff like that so that's that's still on Facebook if anyone wants to watch it Tech Mums TV just after that we got funding from Capital One Capital One Bank so okay. they they um, gave us core funding which we'd not really had before um, and that's really enabled us to hire a CEO, um, which has made a massive difference to us, really, because before that, it was kind of like everyone volunteering and just a, a bit of 
basically not very well paid work for for some people to make stuff happen whereas having a ceo who's got who's got a strategy who's kind of working full time in making stuff happen um, has made a massive difference Sue is a very busy and dedicated tech entrepreneur who's formed several side hustles over the years. I asked about the most recent one, Tech Up Women. Yeah, so so I joined Durham uh, yeah, November, not last year, but the year before. And there was uh, a call out from the Institute of Coding, which is like a central government funded uh, organisation um, for programmes to teach uh, tech skills, but kind of at uh, like master's level. It's focusing on different communities. And uh, I thought, well, here's a great opportunity because like for 20 whatever years I've been in tech now, lots of organizations have said to me, how do we, how do we employ more women in women, you know, like in technical roles? Um, what's the one thing that we could do? And, you know, there's not really one thing that you can do, I don't think. Um, so I kind of, I've, I've known for some time that lots of companies want to employ women into tech roles. And then at the same time, I've met so many women who have just got loads of potential, but don't quite know how to get into tech. So I kind of thought when this call went out, why don't we create a program which kind of joins A to B? So why don't we try and train women who've got degrees into roles where they, you know, where they can go into a, a company and work in a technical role? And so we brought together four universities and 15 industry partners so we asked the industry partners, what roles do you want to employ women into? And the top four were software developer, data scientist, agile project manager and business analyst. So we then put a program uh, together, which was a six month online program to take uh, women from having a degree in any subject through to being able to, to apply for a job in a, a technical role. And so that ran last year from July till January this year, our first kind of rollout of Tech Up Women, um, and, and has been an amazing success. We really focused on um, underserved groups of women. So we have, I think, 54% uh, women of colour, um, 46% um, women with disabilities, 40% parents and 27%, I think, LGBTQ+. You have to be, I'd imagine, so organised because you have a full-time job, which is very demanding, as well as various side hustles. Yeah. Tell me how, on a personal level, how you kind of manage it all, how you structure your day, how you stay on top of everything. Yeah, well, I mean, I always think I could do a lot better. <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I live by my calendar. You know, what's in my calendar is what happens. If it's not in my calendar, then, you know, it doesn't happen. I've got a long list of um, things that I need to do on my phone. I've probably got 50 things on my to-do list with like 15 being priority. So I've kind of got a prioritised um, list of uh, things that I need to do and then... One thing I've learned really as I've got older is to take more time off. And, you know, kind of earlier on, particularly like with my PhD, when I was a new lecturer, I just worked, you know, like so much of the time. And I think also I had like younger kids then. So I just was always on practically apart from like six hours a night when I was sleeping. And as I've got older, I've realized more that if I, you know, I don't work at the weekends now, whereas I might have done back then. If I don't have time off, my brain just kind of like gradually slows down and so I'm much less productive. Whereas if I take the weekends completely off and don't even think about any of the work that I'm doing, when I'm back on Monday, I'm like, oh yeah, what was that? You know, I can kind of get some excitement about what I was doing. So I, I definitely think that if it's possible to have some days where you don't 
do any work or think about work really helps because it just gives your your brain a chance to kind of like relax and then kind of get back on it again on a Monday. What's the most valuable advice you can give to women listening who Mm. want to start their own side hustle, no matter what the industry? Make sure it's something that you absolutely love. Um, Because like my PhD, like lots of things that I've done, I've just felt I've got to do this. And I think if you're going to start up a business it just takes so much hard work and a lot of the time it's so much harder there's all these problems that you didn't realize you were going to have and if you just think that it's a kind of nice to have it's it's just probably not going to work so so I really think it you've got to be just ridiculously excited uh, and driven to make it happen and what about women in tech specifically do you have any words of encouragement or even any things they ought to be wary of I just think technology is the future. So I think maybe if you're starting a business which is technology based or focused, the best thing to do, again, is kind of related to the last question is, you know, it's technology and something that you're really, really passionate about. For example, one of my kind of favorite entrepreneurs is Sharmadine Reed, who is an incredible entrepreneur. Because, you know, kind of like the excitement about what she's doing just kind of like, you know, radiates out at you. So she's kind of like taken the beauty industry and tech Mm. and put them together and created a really exciting product, um, Beauty Stack, which is is just going to kind of revolutionize the beauty business for women. And you're 58 now and still setting up (laughs) side hustles fantastically. Um, You were 50 when you first set up Tech Mums. I wonder if there's anything different in being in your 40s and 50s and setting up a new business and if there's maybe any thoughts or advice you'd have for women who are slightly older yeah I like that slightly older (laughs) well I mean I would say it's it's a great time in your life to do it because I mean like so my great aunt who unfortunately died a couple of years ago at 98 you know when I was chatting to her one time she said you know like the best years for your life are your 50s and 60s as a woman because you kind of know who you are and you've got so much more confidence than you had when you were in your 20s. And, and you're still pretty fit and, you know, like able to do loads of stuff. Um, and I think that's true, actually. I've just really found in my 50s, I was kind of like dreading being 50. But actually, I feel like I've started a new life, particularly, I think, for women. And particularly if you've had children, like in your 20s and 30s, you're kind of getting to a stage where you might have more free time. You've got all this experience of, of working maybe for several decades having children and bringing them up, maybe if you're a mum, just lots of kind of life experience, which you can then bring to bear on, on starting up your own business. So I would say that it's, it's an amazing time um, to start a business. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Say you have the confidence it takes to make that huge leap of faith when starting up a business. What else do you need to prepare for? I asked Sue and she gave us a wealth of advice. You need to know that there's a market for what you want to do, and, you know, and it's not just a market that you think is a good idea. So you need to kind of test it out in some way. So there's various ways if you look online that you can test out whether um, your your product or service is has got a market. And also testing out um, stuff like price point, you know, is the sort of product or service that you're thinking of, are people actually going to pay for that? And again, you can look online for kind of like support in in making that happen. I think find other entrepreneurs that you can kind of get on with, not necessarily women, but other entrepreneurs who may be at the same sort of stage or a bit further on, um, join any sort of program. So like, you know, I was talking about Bethnal Green Ventures and the incubator. Find other groups of people to talk to so that you can kind of test out your ideas, but also, you know, hear other people's stories of where they are and their experience at, at your kind of stage of growth. Um, I think that's that's really helpful as well. You mentioned that you spent time in a women's refuge and it sounds like it made you very resilient, but it's not the um, the story for a lot of women that they're in a refuge and then they go on to have some success. And I wondered if you've got any wisdom or advice to any women who might really be struggling. Yeah, sure. Well, so, I mean, I've, I've struggled a lot at various times in my life from various different things. Um, and you know, I've, I've probably been quite depressed at times as well from things that have happened to me and not being able to see the way out of it previously. So like when I was doing my PhD, that might, you know, it might last for several weeks where I just feel like I, I can't get anything done. I don't know. Well, why am I so rubbish is what I would think, you know, why am I so just rubbish at everything? Um, which of course I now know that I'm not rubbish at everything, <laughs> you need to think about yourself as if you're your best friend kind of thing. You know, what advice would you give to someone else in your situation? And so, you know, when you're absolutely exhausted and you think that your life's a complete mess and you've screwed it up, imagine that's your best friend saying that to you and what you would say to your best friend, you know, which is give yourself a break, you know, like you can only do so much, you need time off, Um, you know, do some nice things, be nice to yourself. Because I think, I think society is really hard on women it's hard on men too in other ways but society is really hard on women we've got to look perfect we've got to be perfect we've got to say the right thing all the time can never make any mistakes and so we kind of grow up with that and yeah like treat yourself like you would your your best friend and kind of encourage and support yourself take time off be nice to yourself do nice things don't relentlessly drive yourself to be perfect because you know it's very destructive It's not every day that we get to chat to an OBE recipient. I wanted Sue to tell me everything, how she found out, how she felt, and just as importantly, what did she wear? (laughs) 
So I just found out in November, I just got a letter through the door, November, with like a cabinet office um, stamp on it. And I was just like, oh, this could be really good or it could be really bad. I just didn't know what it was at all. I opened it up and it was basically, you know, you're, we, we want to, oh, the Queen wants to give you an OBE. Uh, do, will you accept that? Like tick the form. Do you accept? Yes, no. Um, and I think I just like sat down on the floor and started crying like at the front door because I was so shocked. <laughs> and then the actual day itself was like May the 20th uh, 2016 was amazing and also just previous to that I'd won an award the Maserati 100 award for entrepreneurs that give back so I'd been to this fancy do with Maserati you know they kindly gave uh, several of us this award and the kind of joke on the night was do we get a free Maserati um for, for getting the award which of course you don't get a free car <laughs> but but uh you know like everyone was asking yeah no I know um, but they said, oh, you know, if, if anything, if there's some kind of special day, blah, 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 we might give you a Maserati for the day. So then at some point it dawned on me, hang on, I'm getting an OBE. That's quite special. Why don't I ask Maserati if I can have a car for the day? So, so I they let you keep it, right? No. <laughs> oh, they could have done that. I mean, I come know, on. They've I got know. loads to spare, haven't they? <laughs> Absolutely. So he brought around the Maserati. So it's so <laughs> different from my life on a council estate in Brixton, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and wow, so they you know, drove down to Buckingham Palace drove into Buckingham Palace through the the main gates and I was just like is this really my life you know drove in you know went over and then like um the ceremony itself so you know, like you go into you go under the arch in Buckingham Palace into the courtyard get out of the car go into to kind of like the back part of Buckingham Palace I was taken off to the right my family were taken off to the left went up was taught how to curtsy told what was going to happen um and that sort of thing then uh, after about an hour or something ended up kind of being taken through all these rooms into a queue and then then basically one by one we were going up and uh, getting our OBEs yeah it was amazing I, I wore um I got a really lovely sort of like cream with sort of pearls um suit from Ted Baker I think it was from nice yeah wow. yeah it was an amazing day Now time for what she said and another burning career dilemma. In this episode, my question for Sue is, my main barrier at work is threatened men who refuse to support me. How do I get them on side? If you're working in an organisation where there's lots of threatened men that are making your life difficult, I would basically move to another (laughs) organisation, to be honest, Um, because I think you know, life's life's short, right? And you don't want to be working in a company where you're not really supported and valued. And so really for me, I think, you know, I've I've had lots of support over the years from people, but I've also had lots of kind of haters as well, uh, having a go at me. And right at the beginning, particularly when, when people were telling me, you know, like setting up a group for women in tech, that's sexist. Um, setting up tech mums that's sexist uh, you know what are you doing for 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 men in tech or whatever and I kind of focused and felt guilty about trying to try to answer their questions try to get them on side but then kind of gradually I just thought I I want to focus my time on making the right change for me and I've got one life and I could spend my whole life trying to get those guys on board with what I'm doing wouldn't it be better to focus on supporting women, supporting people around me that want to make a positive difference in the world, that, that want to, that kind of on board with my, I guess, life mission as well. Why don't I focus on 
having a positive interaction with them and making stuff happen rather than trying to change the minds of people that are, are not on board with what I'm trying to do. So my advice really would be don't bother. Don't bother to try and do that. Find, find a better place, find a better environment for you so that you can be your best self and live your best life. Now it's time for Throw Forward. Each episode, I ask my guests to answer a question set by last week's guest. The question that Rachel Shapey, the founder of I Can Compose, set for Sue is... How far ahead do you plan with your business and what kind of goals do you set? I kind of have an idea of where I want to go, but I don't necessarily kind of stick to it becoming a professor at Durham. So I knew for some time that I wanted to be a professor and that was one of my aims. And I tried to kind of like target what I was doing towards that. But then at the same time, you know, if other opportunities happen along the way, I would go along with them. And I think a lot of the time it's good, it's good to have kind of short, medium and long-term plans. Quite often our path is not straightforward. And I think if there's, if there's any sort of one piece of advice I've got around that is to always be horizon scanning for opportunities. And Sue, which question would you like to throw forward to next week's entrepreneur? So my question is, how do we support and fund more underrepresented groups? So women and minorities, how do we get them funded? I don't know what the percentage is, but it's much too low. It's been so great speaking with Sue. She's an inspiration to all female entrepreneurs. And I have just enough time to ask her a couple more questions. In a pre-corona world, tech mums had an aim of reaching 1 million women by 2020. How far away are they from that goal? And what does the future have in store for tech mums? Not quite there yet. (laughs) So we've had hundreds of women through the Tech Mums in-person programme. We had 300,000 people looking at the uh, Tech Mums TV. We've put up our online mini modules now. So we're really hoping that that's going to get out to to thousands of women. And yeah, our plan is still to get to a million women and hopefully it'll be 2021. How do you plan to do that though? What's the, what's the next? Well, so, so by building on our online program. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a new CEO now, Victoria, who's, who's looking to help us scale. We've got a great product now. So, so we're kind of working now on, well, Victoria's working our CEO on on how to make that scale in the UK and internationally. Fantastic. Lovely. Okay, that's oh, cool. great. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. It was fun. huge thanks to Sue for telling me the stories of all her side hustles. It's really heartening to see how much she lifts up other women and underrepresented groups within her own industry and beyond. If you're a woman who wants to expand her tech know-how, you can find Sue on Twitter at Dr underscore Black, where you'll also find info on all of her incredible initiatives. I'm on Twitter too, at Scar Rose Russell. Finally, once again, please subscribe, rate and share the series via your preferred podcast app. Next week, I'll be joined by Alice Pelton, whose site hustle is contraception review website, The Lowdown. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 